Do you ever um, go through your church life, your Christian life, and then sometimes suddenly think, I think I've been playing games for a while. I've been just messing around with God and I haven't taken his call on my life seriously. And, and you get, it's like, you know that shake-up moment? Wake-up moment? Mm. Dare we pray for that? Father, I pray that today you would uh, indeed move us by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, that you would not leave us where we are and that you would not leave us alone. Change us and shape us into being the uh, men and women and disciples that you want us to be. I pray that you would speak to us and that we would listen. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading from uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 34. Um, I think we're in the ESV today. I'm not really sure. I think it is. And as uh, Jesus was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honour your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. For many who are first will be last, and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, 
See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Okay. I want to remind you of the previous passage, which we did a couple of weeks ago, from Mark 10, 13 to 16, in that Jesus had just said, the only way you can enter the kingdom of God is as a child. That is, to re- he said, to receive the kingdom. And you remember what we said, that a child receives something very easily. If you give them a present, they say, they might hopefully say thank you and they take it and they enjoy it. But when you give a present to an older person, they want to pay you back. They don't just receive it. They have a thought that you can't just accept grace. You've got to give it back. And what he's saying is the only way to receive the kingdom of heaven is by receiving and not thinking I'll pay you back, God, because what have we got to give to him? Do you understand that? And so he just finished that and then he set out on his journey and a man runs up and kneels before him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And at first look, you think, this is a very good question of someone and there's no doubt that this man is earnest, he's genuine and he wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now, In the Old Testament, the only one who's ever called good is God. Only God is good. And and so this man calling Jesus good is actually quite unusual, isn't it? It's equating him with God, but but at least saying he's morally good. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It seems like a good question. But behind it, you see, in light of what we just said, how do you, get, how, how do you in, enter the kingdom of God? By receiving. Yeah? And he says, what must I do? Okay. In other words, what do I have to do so there must be something I can do with my abilities? And in, we find out later he's, he's, a, he's a very rich man. And uh, with my abilities, my resources, and, and all that I have, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of God? Yeah. Like, is it going to take a bit of cash or a bit of hard work or, or what's the go? Do you understand his question? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And you know the commandments. And he tells him the commandments, uh, uh, the the, the the back end of the Ten Commandments, the ones that refer to people. And he says, Teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. Okay. Now Jesus points him back firstly, saying, you know, no one's good but God alone. But it's clear, actually, that this man thought he was good. How can you tell that? Well, he says he's obeyed all the commandments. Since youth, which means probably, uh, you know, the coming of age for a Jew was 12. So as far as he concerned, he has always obeyed all of these laws. Okay? And he comes to Jesus and calls him good, knowing that in his heart he believes he himself is good. So he says, good teacher, one good person to another. Tell me what I need to do to inherit eternal life. Because you see, he knows that there's still something missing. 
I've been trying hard to be really good, but I just don't feel this assurance and this security that I need. And he genuinely wants to know. Can you get this picture? There are a lot of people in this world who really want to go to heaven. I'm not just Christians. Do you understand? If you painted a picture of heaven to them, they would say, I really want to go. But they don't necessarily want to receive or rely on Jesus for their salvation. Okay. So he has this insecurity, but he has an earnestness. Uh, He's earnest, but he actually is missing the heart of a relationship with God. It says Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus loved this man. He could see the heart, the genuine heart of this man. He really, really wants to work hard to do what's right. But actually Jesus sees something else in him. And that is a love of money, and it's not just money, but it's what money can do, has an incredible power over him, and he needs to follow Jesus. He needs to completely rely on God rather than his own ability to deserve or buy back or anything like that. There's one thing he lacked, he said. And uh, that, in one sense, is a self-sacrificing Devotion to God, which is the heart of every Christian, or it's that thing that puts God and a faith in God and a reliance on God and a trust in God above everything else in our lives. What do we fall back on? What is the thing that we rely on the most? And Jesus is giving him an invitation to come to the kingdom, to receive, not by his own means. Now, in saying One thing you lack is not saying you've got 99% right. Okay. It's one thing you lack like this. Could could you imagine, I know that Sue went to see Ed Sheeran and she had, as she got to the door, I picture this, this may not be how it happened, but she had her orange wig on and she had her Ed Sheeran T-shirt and she's got all of his albums purchased, uh, either CD or, or tape or something like that, and, and she's listening to him all the time, she's memorised his songs, and she gets to the door of the concert, and they say, look, there's just one thing you lack, Sue. It's the ticket. Apart from that, like, we can see you really, you are really keen. You've got a great, you are genuine. You are earnest. But without that ticket, she's actually not, never going to go into the concert. So in saying, it's fine to say, there's just one little thing you lack, except for that one little thing is, is actually everything. Does that make sense? <coughs> you need to rely on God. It's not a one small thing. Faith, you know, we could say, it is so simple. All we need to do is have faith in God. And you will spend the entirety of your life working out what that faith is. It will, it will take all of your time and effort forever. Do you understand? One little thing is everything. Do you understand? Um, it, it, it is to take up your cross and follow him, to deny yourself. You can't have, in the end, treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. Does that make sense? You can't have both. 
You can't live for yourself and live for God. You can't serve God and mammon or God and money or God and other people. You can't have both. You must singularly follow Jesus. Just that one small thing that you lack, which is a whole lifetime. We're not talking about a minor issue here. We're saying, what is it in your life that you get your hope and your joy and your peace and you put your, put your whole life into? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Okay. You see, in the end, to be honest, God doesn't need our money. Did you know that? He doesn't actually need money for anything. He owns every dollar in everybody's bank account anywhere, so it doesn't really matter. Money's not of great value, and it's never going to do anything for us. And having lots of it, and we'll talk more about money in a sec, will not give us eternal life. Just one. Okay. He was disheartened, and he went away sorrowful. Because he had great possessions. Now, it's a, it's a vivid description of a head drop, but it, if, in one sense, it's an eternal head drop, isn't it? Like, because this man was very rich. And obviously, he relied on his money and his possessions for everything who he was for his life. It was everything to him. If you put it in this, this is a very sad story because this is a man refusing eternal life because of the treasures of this earth. That's what it is. And it's a sad story that has lived out many, many times in this world. People taking the treasures of this world over the treasures of Jesus. The riches of this world seemingly being more valuable than what Jesus can do for us. So what you've got here is one little thing you lack, which is a radical demand of a complete turnaround in a person's life. Can you see that? Like this is, this is if, if repentance is, you know, they say is a change of mind, is a 180 degrees, this is... I don't know, you can't have more than 180 degrees, but you are running full ball that way and you're running full ball this way. There's kind of no in-between ground here. Um, you see, I think what happens in people's lives, and especially when people have more power over their lives, which is what money brings, is that they will want to come to faith to get the added bonus of eternal life so I can have all that I've got now and then the added bonus of eternal life so I've got all, you understand, attack on. Surely we can make this work together, people. We can have treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. Do you understand? Now, we do have a rich treasure on earth because we have Christ on earth, but we have him now and we have the Holy Spirit and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Can you see what I'm saying? Money actually gives a great lie. And I want to discuss this because in Mark 4, Jesus has already said with this parable of the sower, he said this, remember there was the first one, the seed was snatched away by the birds, and the second one, it sprouted and then it died, and, but it's the, it's the third seed, which is the one which is quite frightening and should be for all of us, I think. And he says, the one sown among the thorns are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... And the desires for other things enter in 
and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The deceitfulness of riches. What is the deceitfulness of riches? Well, these are some aspects of it. But money promises control over your life, firstly. Is that true? It's, it's, it's true. You can, in a worldly sense, actually have more power over your life when you've got money. You can go where you go whenever you like. People without money can't do that. Uh, you can buy what you want and you're not constricted by the slavery of having a boss. You are the boss. That's good. Yep. Do you understand that? And money... Sorry, this is the deceitfulness of it. That's what it promises. Money promises freedom. That's a great lie because whoever sins is enslaved to sin, said Jesus. Actually, you end up... You see, money promises pleasures and good things and more good things and more good things and satisfaction and fulfilment. And it promises earthly treasures which in the end are not of any great value. In fact, compared to the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, they are worthless. You see, it's a, it's a lie and it's in, it brings an insatiable desire. That means it can't be... It promises you will be satisfied... When you have, whether, whether you're thinking about your retirement, a nest egg, or in your young age, or enough to you know, live comfortably and do whatever you like, it's actually a lie. It's insatiable. You can't get to the bottom of it. The more you get, the more you want, and it'll keep growing. And another lie of riches is they promise security. You'll have security in your life. Now, this man... He had no security before God, even though he'd obeyed the law as far as he was concerned. He was deeply troubled. He had no security. So he had to ask, what I do? What must I do? Which is, you see, the cry of someone who has means. I can do anything I like in this world. Now, what do I need to do to secure God's favour? It's got to... Let, let's work this out. Do you understand? So riches bring a great deceit. And often part of that deceit is when people say, well, I've got all this, but I could happily do without it. Right, but no one ever seems to do without it. They just say, I could live without it. And they kind of believe what they're saying and they're convincing themselves it's true. But in reality, there's a love for riches. And naturally, riches bring self-reliance, self-ability. Does that make sense? When we have a means, we can control our lives. And that makes us say, I can do this, I can do that. What must I do, as this man said? Okay, I think we made that point. And the response that God says, if you have this frame of mind, if you are one who such beliefs that you have control over your life, then the best thing you can do right now to get rid of that deceit is to give it all up. Riches are dangerous. Now, we live in an age where often in the churches we're told riches are what God wants for you. I want you to go home. I'm going to read part of it, 1 Timothy 6. I would like you to go home and actually go over this again carefully and make sure that I'm saying the right thing. But in 1 Timothy 6, I'm reading one, a couple of parts of it. He says this, Those who desire to be rich, this is the Bible, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, 
and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Yay, I want to be rich. Plunge me into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. So we're not talking... So the desire for riches in the church caused people to wander away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's serious, isn't it? And so just before that, he'd said as, a, as a, the opposite to this, uh, but he said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, do a snare. Yep. For the love of money... Oh, I've got the wrong passage. What he says is, we should be content with what we've got. If we haven't got enough to eat, or we have, or whatever, just be content in Christ because of that insatiable desire. I'm, I'm going to find it. Sorry, I, I wrote down the wrong passage here. And I... It says... Um, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's, oh, you got it. Verse 6, sorry. Verse 6. No, you had that up. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You understand? Don't fall into the temptation. Be content with what you've got. Okay. As Christians, we have to be content to receive everything of value from God and not hope to be in control of our life. Okay. All of this is is serious, and it's serious for all of us because, let's face it, this is us. Okay. If you think I'm looking at anybody in particular, I'm looking at myself here. This is what we are. And often what we do with this question uh, or this serious issue and we look at money, is we say this thing, um, how could this money be used more wisely? Well, there's someone in the Bible who asked that question, isn't there? Judas. <laughs> Remember that? About the perfume on Jesus' feet. Yeah, so we're in good company when we ask that. The question that we should be asking of riches is, are these riches that you desire in danger of disqualifying you from eternal life? That's the question we should ask. Because God, as I said before, he doesn't need money. Okay? So Jesus looked around, we're back in uh, Mark 10, verse 23. He looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it would be though to have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And they were amazed by these words. Amazed is kind of like shocked, I think. And even more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This should be challenges because we're all rich, okay? Do you understand that? Um, even in Jesus' day, needles, well, they had a bit fatter twine in those days, but even in Jesus' day, needles still had a fairly small eye. And even in Jesus' day, camels were fairly large, right? So camels don't go through the eye of a needle, it's a huge animal. It's a, it's a silly thing to think that that could happen. And at this point, 
The cop-out that we all take is, well, not all, but often take is, well, I'm not as rich as others. That's okay. So it's not talking about me because obviously just have a look around the world, have a look around Queensland, have a look around St George. There's heaps of people richer than me. So actually, because rich people think they're poor because there's always someone richer, isn't there? Everybody at least thinks they're average. We've got a friend who was a missionary in America, uh, sorry, America, in, in uh, the Congo for 25 years, and he asked uh, some people who lived there what their definition of a rich person was. And they said someone who could afford toilet paper. That's a rich person. Right. Um, I, I've never in my life thought, I don't think I've got the money to scratch together to have my next meal. That's not the experience of a vast majority of people in this world. Do you understand? And if we apply that to ourselves as we should, we might come down where the disciples who understand actually, often the disciples seem a bit thick, but in this case they understand fully the depth of what Jesus has just said. And they said to him, well then who can be saved? Yeah, not me. That's what they're saying. They knew the depths of this, of what Jesus was saying. Right. They knew the demand of it. It, it is a confronting passage. Maybe they realised they didn't trust God as they should. We need to receive from him and throw ourselves on him and trust in him above all else. And this is the reality because the short life that we live and the treasures we have in this short life are of no value compared to eternity. Okay? It's, it's like um, the, the enjoyment of eating your favourite lolly before you're executed at the electric chair. Do you understand? Wow. Get to really enjoy that. Do you understand? We need faith in him. And it seems impossible. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible but not with God. For all things are possible to God. Now, um, I've heard people use this passage so we can do anything. Well, I'll tell you what, this is saying, so we have a possibility of living. Because... What man is impossible? Do you know what's impossible for man to do? Save themselves. You cannot save yourself. And if you were to be honest, we have these deep desires and we have this sinful nature which says, I want to throw all my trust and my hope into the things of this world. We cannot save ourselves. But with God, it is possible. That's good news, hey? There is a salvation which looks like us being dropped into the fire and we are snatched out. That's what the word, the word of Zechariah is like a firebrand snatched from the fire, like a burning stick. We are, we are headed for it and he snatches us out and he saves us. And how does he do that? Again, by his son Jesus and by the salvation he brings and only by trusting in him. Now, uh, I, I, I finished, uh, well, 
We'll get to that. I'll come back to that in a minute. Because one more thing happens is that Peter says, but we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, those who have left all their stuff will receive great, great things in this life and in the one to come. Uh, he adds a word in there uh, and with persecution, just so you know. It doesn't make it easy. Peter's saying, You've, we've left everything. And he said, you'll be rewarded. So he brings peace to Peter there. Uh, there's going to be a lot of joy and peace and true security in following Jesus. Okay? With persecutions. And some of those persecutions, I think the thing that persecutes us most, 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 most is our own flesh. Our own desires. Secondly, there's a persecution because it's the way of the world, isn't it? So there's a persecution from the world. Thirdly, there's a persecution from the powers of darkness who want desperately for us not to trust in Jesus. Moving towards the end, have you noticed that the people, of the disciples, they keep saying they're astonished, they're amazed at this teaching. And there's one more bit of amazement they get, and that's on the road to Jerusalem when they're amazed and they're afraid. Like There's a lot of emotions going through their heads right now. And Jesus says, I'm going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man there will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes. They'll condemn him to death and they'll deliver him. He's not just saying, I'll change the subject. We're getting a bit heavy about money here. Because you want to know how there's a chance for people that make something possible with God that's not possible with man. It's because I'm going to go to the cross and there I'm going to deal with all your sins. You need to know that right now. Do you understand? The cross is at the centre of everything for us. Jesus had to die. So we can trust in his cross, which is to trust in our weakness and his strength, what God can do that man can't do, or we can trust in ourselves and ultimately uh, walk away with our head dropped like this young man. Our best desires and the best that we could do needed to be crucified with Christ. We need Jesus above all else. And he alone, by his cross, has brought us the hope of the absolutely impossible thing, eternal life. Can you see that? It's completely impossible for us. If, if we are sitting here thinking there is something we need to do, so if you go home now thinking, right, well, I'm going to sell all my stuff, That's not something you can do to receive eternal life either. You need Christ and you need him above all else. And we need to hold on to the things of this world very lightly and we need to honestly tell one another, you know those things you put your hope in? They're a lot of rubbish. They are not going to bring you satisfaction. They are not going to bring you joy. We need to be honest about that. They are not going to bring eternal life. They will fade away, they will rust, they will perish. All those words Jesus uses of them. But the things of God are of eternal value. Turns out the greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. Hey, that's the thing we need most. And it's the only treasure that will never fade. Even death can't take it away. That's of greatest value. Hold on to that. And how much of our lives should we give to that? Everything we have, which is not enough to repay a single cent. 
because it's given to us as a gift that we receive. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, wake us from our slumber if that's where we are. I pray that you would teach us uh, what it is to live for you, with, to love you with our heart and soul and mind and strength, that we might honour you. I, Father, I pray that where the loves of this world have overtaken us, where the things of this world we've put greater value on than you, I pray that you would that you would tear down these things in our minds and our hearts, that we might put you at the place that only you should be. And uh, Father, that you would give us the joy of knowing that through you we have every blessing in the spiritual realms in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would show us and teach us and guide us that we might live in all the fullness it is to live in Christ and not in ourselves, trusting in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.